podcast for those who suffer, which is everyone. It's a space where we can speak honestly about what it feels like to be in desolate places without losing hope. Welcome to In the Thicket. Mary Webb joins us this week to share about her beautiful daughter, Gemma. Following complications during Gemma's birth, she was diagnosed at four months with severe spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy and epilepsy. Mary shares about the really difficult first years of Gemma's life, about the isolation that she felt, and about the grief that she had to process for what would and would not be part of Gemma's life. But she also shares about how the Lord sustained her through his providence and through supportive family, and about the joy that has come in life with little St. Gemma. If you know a family who's walking this road of childhood disability or adverse prenatal diagnosis, please consider sharing this episode with them. And if you are a parent of a child with a disability or have received an adverse prenatal diagnosis, we hope this episode is a support for you. And please know that we are praying for you in a special way. God bless. Hello, everyone. Welcome, 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 welcome back to In the Thicket. I'd like to say a special hello to all of those who are um, new, because I think we have a bunch of new listeners through various things on Instagram. We are now over the 900 mark for followers. <laughs> Whoa, that's awesome. Which is, I mean, in Instagram standards, it's not like thousands of followers, but it's like one of those marks they say, like it hovers around that for a while. And then it's like mm-hmm. this, this oh, like the, mysterious. Yeah, anyways. the mysteries of Instagram. But we love all, all 900 of you. We do. So. Yeah. Yes. And we are really not that concerned with how many of you are, but just the fact that we mm-hmm. want to say hi if you're new. Um, yeah. I'm Aaron, and uh, I'm next Rachel. Is, yeah. Yes, I'm Rachel. Rachel. I'm Nicole. And we have a lovely guest with us today, and her name is... Mary, hi. <laughs> this is Mary Webb. She's joined us today. So if you're watching on Instagram, you'll see four of us. And we did agree ahead of time that Mary has the best hair yeah, out of true. all of us. Yeah. So true. you can feel free to check that out. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So fun fact, uh, we were talking a little bit about NET earlier, which is National Evangelization Teams. And um, both Nicole and Mary actually had discerned maybe going on NET and then didn't end up going on NET. But both of them have siblings who went on NET. And then Mary's sister, Katie. Hi, Katie, if you listened. This is Aaron. I was in the same small group as Katie on the NET year. And then Mary's husband, Matt, was also on our net year, and we're very old. <laughs> just, just say, that's honestly, all to say is that we're very old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all to say like the small Catholic world, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's very yeah. small. True. Yeah, I feel like it is. Yeah. And Mary lives on the East Coast, uh, which I love because I love the East Coast, the East Coast of Canada. Yes, we should (laughs) say that in New Brunswick. Do you want to tell us a little bit about where you live, Mary? We are in St. John, New Brunswick. Um, Matt is actually from Halifax, so we're both East Coasters. Um, St. John... Oh gosh, it's not huge. It's a fairly small city. And I, I was born in Toronto actually, mm-hmm. and moved to St. John when I was eight. So it was going from the biggest city in Canada to this tiny little city on the coast. Um, mm. But oh gosh, I love living on the water on the bay. Yeah. Um, it's got a really small town feel markets. Everybody's really friendly. 
everything mm. they say about my retirement being friendly is, is true. We're the nicest Canadians. <laughs> totally. <laughs> We're just saying something, you know what I mean? Right. Saying something. That's right. Cause everybody thinks Canadians are very are polite nice. in general. Mm, exactly. And then, yeah. Yeah. Maritimers yeah. are extra, extra nice. Yeah. Extra That's nice. Like true. Yeah. If you were standing, so I went to, I lived in Yarmouth, um, in high school. And then I went to Dalhousie in Halifax, Nova oh, okay. Scotia. So I'm like, I have a big heart for Nova Scotia. It's like, I swear my favorite place in the world is the Yarmouth lighthouse. It's the, it's the mm. best place in the entire world. I love it. Um, but it's true about everybody being friendly. Cause you could be like standing on a street corner with another person. And by the time the light changes, you'll be invited to their house for tea next Thursday. Yeah. Like, yeah. Everybody says hello and everybody knows everybody. Everyone yeah, knows everybody else. Like you say, oh, I'm from this town. And yeah. oh, do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. And there's like five very prominent last names. Like Smith, <laughs> LeBlanc. Like... <laughs> that's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, have you guys been? I can't remember if you guys have been, Rachel or Nicole. I have. Yep, I've been. Yeah. I've been to Fredericton. Hmm. And like basically my family did a thing where we um, we just drove through Quebec and then we did New Brunswick and PEI. Um, and I think we did, I can't remember whichever, but we didn't do all four. We did three. And okay. then, and then I've been, I've been to whichever one I didn't go to with my family. I think I went to with like band in high school. And so, yeah, and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. And I feel like every province in the Maritimes has a different, like a complete, in some ways, mm-hmm. a completely different feel to mm-hmm. it than the others. Like, yeah, it has yeah. its own flavor and mm-hmm. it's really, but they're all, yeah, just beautiful. And yeah, and yeah the water and it's just gorgeous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You recommend? I uh, my dad is Acadian, so his family is oh, yeah. originally from oh. New Brunswick. So from I can't Rogersville. believe I forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> I totally knew that. So like, but I've actually never been. I've never been to to Rogersville or anywhere around there. Um, but I did get to go to uh, Newfoundland, St. John's, not St. John, mm-hmm. St. John's. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was sixteen, on like a choir tour, and I remember like being downtown. It was a rainy day um shopping you know in the little shops or whatever and then friends and I like standing on the in the middle of like on the sidewalk and we were like oh should we walk to that stoplight or to cross or this one and we're trying to figure out and as we were just standing there deliberating all the cars stopped in the middle of downtown and they were just like waving us across and so my gosh and and it like I every time I tell people that story they're like Oh, that's like a nice exaggeration. I'm like, no, no, no. Like this actually happened. This that's is an actual crazy. thing. That's so um, sweet. That was beautiful. Like, and then can I got you to imagine? go to, oh, it's so wild, right? Yeah. And then um, I was in Prince Edward Island and PEI and uh, a trip about, I guess almost 10 years ago now, mm. but it was, it was, yeah, it was lovely. It was beautiful. Mm. Beautiful. So, so secret of the Maritimes, cow chips. Um, oh, I never had any cow so chips. So cow chips are, uh, there's a particular um, ice cream place in on Prince Edward Island, oh. cows, 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 ice cream. That's what yeah. it is. And so they have like chips, like, I, um, yeah. like oh. just regular, like ripple salted chips Ooh. and they cover them with chocolate and eat them. I haven't had them. And then I've had cows, them. ice cream. I did have Me that. Me too. Morning. I've had the ice yeah. cream. I didn't have the but chips. I didn't have the chips. So cow chips. Now you guys are going to have to try them. 
you know know. yeah Yeah. that's right special (laughs) order them we're gonna do a giveaway next season (laughs) case of cow chips chips. here you go great yeah that's right so if you love can we get some too then though you know yes yeah i think so (laughs) i think we could yeah i'm gonna get you us for christmas next year that's what i'm gonna get you Mm -hmm. good um so today we are we're really glad to have you mary because i think this topic that we're going to talk about is something that um, touches a lot more lives than we really think of, whether it's people who have a child with a disability or who's medically fragile, or whether it's somebody who knows somebody or um, whatever the case may be. And um, and so it's going to be, I think, really beautiful for you to be able to share your story of your experience with Gemma and the rest of your family and seeing your pictures of her on um, on social media. Like her smile is just like, it's like a ray of sunshine. <laughs> She's so sweet. I've never even met her, but she's just, you know, she's so sweet. Um, Yeah. So we're really excited to have you here today. So maybe we can get you to start off and just tell us a little bit about uh, your family, how you met Matt and. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. um, I met Matt. Oh gosh. Um, Years ago, I was 14 when I met Matt. Whoa. Uh, So he's from Halifax. And by that point I was living in St. John, New Brunswick. And um, there was this retreat that a youth team in St. John, it was called the Queen of Peace Youth Team. Uh, we put it on twice a year. It was called Raising Up an Army. And that was in Amherst, Nova Scotia. Mm. Uh, every May and every October. And so the youth team, we would do skits. We would have a music ministry. We would have a speaker. Uh, we'd have mass, men's group, women's group. Um, and it was just a weekend long retreat. And so I met Matt at this retreat when I was 14. I think it was the first Raising Up that I went to. Um, and yeah, we just we were friends for years. I was never interested in Matt <laughs> until he, he kept telling me you're going to marry me when I was a teenager. Wow. Yeah, yeah, For years, he told me you're going to, I'm going to marry you. And I was like, you're nuts. Um, <laughs> but That's awesome. Oh God. He's, he's a funny guy. Um, yeah. So after his, he did two net years, he did a net year in Newfoundland on a parish team. And then he did a parish team in Ireland. Uh, mm-hmm. And after his Ireland year is when I sort of started feeling God being like, Oh, you, know, you might want to yeah, you should, okay. you know, take a second look here. Yeah. And, and I told him about it because I, my dad kept saying to me, well, there's one way to tell if something's from the Lord, you know, you can test it. And well, how do you test it? Tell Matt, you think you're supposed to marry him. Mm. And so I did. Wow. And, um, he was like, I know, I've been telling you that. <laughs> Basically, yeah. No, that's that's exactly what happened. And he was like, great, finally. Um, we started dating and we got married three years later. And so we've been married for just over 10 years now. Uh, we celebrated our 10th anniversary last July. And congratulations. Um, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 10 years. It's a big deal. Well, I mean, it felt like a big deal. Yeah. And uh, we have four kids. So Gemma is our oldest, and then we have one son. His name is James. He is eight, and we have two more girls. We have Lucia. She is six, and Amelia. She's two and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's my pandemic baby. I had her in the middle of lockdown. So, <laughs> oh my wow, god, that was wild. <laughs> oh, I bet it was. Oh my goodness, yeah. that's yeah. crazy. Because was could were you just alone in the hospital when you had her? Was Matt? able to be he was there? allowed to be with me um 
for the delivery, but not for any of my prenatal appointments. And that was a little difficult because I get a severe form of morning sickness when I'm pregnant called hyperemesis gravidarum. And um, it was really awful with Amelia. I was vomiting profusely for the whole nine months. Um, And then I had a preterm labor scare at 18 weeks with Amelia and Matt couldn't be with me at the hospital when I was like contracting. Oh my gosh. My baby's coming at 18 weeks. So it was, you know, higher, higher stress than some of my past Mm -hmm. pregnancies, but we got to the end, Matt was there, we got home and it's, Mm -hmm. it's, oh gosh, she's cute. She's cute. I yeah. said I would have I would have 10 of her if I didn't have to do her pregnancy <laughs> <Yes>. again. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's funny. Um the I know they are they're very cute kids. This I can testify to that. You could probably follow Mary on uh, I don't I think your your Instagram is open, I think, eh? I, I think it is. People can go um, see your cute kids. Yeah, I think it is open because we had a GoFundMe last year oh, for Gemma's yeah. fan. Right. And so yeah. I opened my my Instagram mm-hmm. because we were sharing our GoFundMe, which was successful. Yay. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. This is good. Okay. Well, then this is great. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about Gemma. And I'm sure, you know, in the midst of everything, you'll be able to share about the other kids too. And how they love her and all the things that go with that. But what happened during your, like, how was your pregnancy with her? And then, and then the birth and after birth. My pregnancy was normal, actually. It was mm-hmm. so my first baby, I was young, I was 23. And there were no issues um, besides, you know, lots of morning sickness. Right. Um, but no, it was a, a healthy, low risk pregnancy the whole time. Um hmm. And we didn't find out what we were having, whether or not she was going to be a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. But early on in my pregnancy, I I had sort of asked St. Gemma Gogani to watch mm-hmm. over my baby. I mm-hmm. sort of fell in love with St. Gemma. Sorry, I'm losing my earbud here. <laughs> I sort of fell in love with St. Gemma a couple years before Matt and I got married. And, and that sort of love for her continued on. And so I just asked her, you know, watch over my baby. And um, when I was eight months pregnant with Gemma, a friend of mine who knew how much I love St. Gemma, she mm. had another friend who had been in Rome who gave her these relics, first class relics mm. of St. Gemma Golgani. And she gave Beautiful. them to me for my wow. 23rd birthday when I was eight months pregnant with my wow. Gemma. Wow. And I had been saying the whole time to Matt, like, if it's a girl, I really want to name this baby Gemma. He was like, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I love the name. I don't know anybody <laughs> with the name. Um, and then I got first class relics of St. Gemma Golgani while I was pregnant with Gemma. And I looked at Matt and I said, it's a sign. This is like, her name is Gemma. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just normal, healthy pregnancy. Um, and then uh, we went to 40 weeks. We went right to the end. She still didn't come. And everybody said, you know, first babies are often late. Mm. Uh, so I was scheduled to be induced about a week and a half after my due date because Jenna still hadn't arrived she was very comfortable mm-hmm. um the night before my induction my water broke at home so we went to the hospital so excited okay we're having mm. this baby and um during labor her heart rate would drop and then come back up and then it would drop and come back up and the nurses you know they would sort of reposition me and and she Gemma seemed to be recovering well so nobody really 
they didn't act like there was any sort of emergency situation because I don't think any of the nurses or doctors thought there was any mm-hmm. sort of emergency situation. Right. Um, so it was a 12 hour labor right at the end, literally right at the end. It was wow. 12 noon on October 3rd mm-hmm. and my nurse checked to me and I was just about fully dilated. And then Gemma's heart rate just dropped mm-hmm. and it didn't come back up. And so my nurse tried for a few minutes to flip me around in all sorts of different positions because that had worked throughout the labor. And this time it wasn't working and her heart rate was just mm. dropping off. Mm. And so all of a sudden the nurse hit this button and all these doctors flooded into the room. And uh, I had like 10 or 11 people in, in the room and Matt had just been sleeping in the chair beside me. And I was trying to like reach him, wake up like <laughs> yeah. before all yeah. these people crowded between us. And uh, he sort of sat up and looked around and looked kind of startled. And I just said, text my family, ask them to pray. Mm-hmm. And the doctor, he looked at me and he said, we need to get this baby out now. And so in my head, I thought, okay, we're going for a C-section. Like my first mm-hmm. baby going for a C-section. But he said, nope, you're going to push and we're going to pull with a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so that's what we did. So 24 minutes, well, after we started pushing. So at 1234, she was born. So 20 mm. minutes of pushing, 34 minutes without oxygen. Mm. Jamma was born and she was born still. Mm. She wasn't breathing. She was completely blue and lifeless and covered head to toe in meconium. Mm-hmm. And the meconium is the first bowel movement that a baby typically has after they're born. But if mm. they're in distress in the womb, they sometimes will have that first bowel movement in the womb. Which can be dangerous because meconium aspiration, getting it all in the lungs. So that's exactly what happened with Gemma. And I remember, it's awful. It's my first memory. And I've said this to my mom. I feel so guilty that my first memory of Gemma is this. But when they were lifting her and rushing her away, she had all this meconium like pouring out of her mouth and her and her nose. And my first mm-hmm. thought was, looks like a swamp monster. Oh, <laughs> That was my first memory of my baby. And so they rushed her over to this table and um, they were cleaning her off. And Matt and I were just sort of sitting there. Nobody was saying a whole lot. And um, and I'm trying to sit up and I said, what did we have? Because they didn't tell us. They Mm -hmm. were just so focused on the baby who wasn't breathing. And one of the nurses said, it's a boy. Oh. And then, and then they cleaned her off a little more. And then, then another nurse said, no, it's a girl. And then oh. I looked at Matt and I said, it's Gemma. And then they rushed her from the room. Mm. So that was, that was wild. That was really just completely were not prepared. We mm-hmm. were not prepared for that kind of situation at birth. Um, and we didn't really know what was going on with her for the first few hours that she was in the NICU, I was able to go see her a few hours later um, and just hooked up to machines and they, they weren't even sure why her heart rate dropped the way it did, why it didn't come back up. Like Mm -hmm. those first, her first hours of life, we didn't really know what was going on. Um, And then it was around three or four in the morning, her first night. Um, we weren't staying in the NICU. Our hospital here in St. John is not huge. And so mm. our NICU doesn't have spaces for the parents to stay with babies. I think some bigger hospitals in bigger cities with higher level NICUs have places for the parents to stay. Right. But I was out on the maternity recovery floor and it was yeah three or four in the morning and the neonatologist came into my room and woke us up. Mm. And he said to us, 
we just want to let you know um, that Gemma started having seizures and, and he said, the seizures, they're so, they're so severe that she stops breathing when she's having them. And we have to like resuscitate her every time. Mm. And he told us, he said, I think that you should call your family because we don't think she's going to survive. So I just like shock. We hadn't held her yet. I hadn't held my baby at that point yet. And now this doctor is telling me, you know, I don't know if your baby is going to survive. So we got up, we called our family, everybody came to the hospital to say goodbye. And um, we had our priest come, he baptized her in the NICU while she was on her way into an MRI. Mm. And then from there, it was just doctors coming in and one neurologist came in and said, I think that we can help her recover, but her brain needs a serious break. It's going to be essentially an induced coma. And, you know, do you consent to this? And we said, do what you need to do. Yeah. And um, at that point I brought St. Gemma's relics into the hospital uh-huh. and I put them in her isolate with her. And uh, we just asked people to start praying and we had thousands of people thousands of people from all over the world praying for and she started improving really fast Mm. um those first few days in the hospital because she was having these seizures they were actually being brought on by any type of stimulation so Mm. matt and i were not allowed to reach in and touch her anymore so couldn't hold her couldn't touch her and so the nurses, like I hadn't changed her diaper. The nurses were doing changes very quickly. Mm. Um, any sort of blood draws, everything was done really fast. Yeah. And um, it was just, I think part of me was in shock, I think, but there was a real peace as well. And Matt mm. and I have, we've talked about this a lot over the years about how peaceful we felt mm. when Gemma was in the NICU. Um, my mom and my sisters, all my family would come to visit. And the first day I'm, I'm a very emotional person. Mm. I cry easily. My feelings are hurt <laughs> easily. And so my mom was warning my sisters, mm. guys, be really nice to Mary. Like she's probably going to have a breakdown when you get in there to see her. And they mm. were shocked at how sort of chipper and even keel that I was. That's but I, amazing. I, oh my gosh. It, like it was supernatural peace because yeah. I don't, I don't think I've ever experienced anything quite like it since. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she, uh, so we, we couldn't, we couldn't touch her. We couldn't hold her. We felt really, really peaceful. Um, I held it together pretty well when other people were around. And then in the evenings, um, my nurses would sort of make me sit in the, in the bath for 20 minutes just to help with healing. Mm-hmm. And it was in the tub when I was alone that I would cry and just for yeah. 20 minutes And every night I would pray and I would ask Mary to please just go into the NICU and be the mother to Gemma that I couldn't be right now because I knew she needed a mom and I wasn't even allowed to touch her. And that devastated me. But so I didn't know what else to pray. So I said, Mary, just please just go, go and be her mom, go and be her mom until I can be her mom basically. Mm. And, um, Five or six days later, on the day that I was being discharged, um, Gemma was obviously staying behind in the hospital longer. My family, my parents, my siblings, and some family friends, they all came to my hospital room. We had kind of like a praise and worship. 
prayer meeting <laughs> kind of. Beautiful. Um, That's amazing. And um, I hadn't told anybody about this prayer that I was praying every night to Mary. And uh, as we were praying, one of my one of my parents' closest friends, her and her husband, they're like family. We call them our parents. <laughs> they're our spare parents. And um, her name awesome. is Cheryl. And, and she said to me afterwards, she said, Mary, I just, I have to tell you, when we were all praying, I saw Mary and Jesus going into the NICU every mm-hmm. night that you and Matt would leave, Mary and Jesus would go in and she would go stand at Gemma's isolate and she would pet her and stroke her and hold her. And I just really felt like I needed to tell you that. Oh my gosh. I was just like, oh my gosh. And we should say too, like when we were praying before we started the thing, like when we were praying, I felt like Mary was with us even here, you know? So, which, which is like, yeah, she's all over anything to do with motherhood, you know, real motherhood. When you said that, it's funny. I had thought about this story about Mary and I, and I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if I was going to tell it, but mm-hmm. when you said that when we were praying, you really felt Mary. I was like, okay, I'm going to tell yes. them because Mary, Mary is invested in Jenna's oh, life. Oh yeah, totally. Right from the beginning. Wow. Yeah. So, um, Beautiful. oh, it was, it was amazing. And then Gemma just was sort of rapidly improving in the hospital. And then mm-hmm. we got to hold her for the first time when she was six days old I got to breastfeed her for the first time when she was nine days old. And then at 16 days old, they were sending her home from the NICU. And then wow. neonatologist said to me, he's like, I can't explain why she's going to have to go home, but she is. Wow. And here you go. Good luck. Godspeed. <laughs> Here is your profoundly disabled baby. Good luck. That's not what he said. But yeah. That was yeah, sort yeah. Of what was about to come. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, um, I mean, during that, during that, time like it's just so beautiful how you describe the grace of that of peace like and even um so I can I can just share like it, it that part of her being born and the like no, no movement no breathing all of those kind of things it hits pretty close to home for me because that my nephew too when he was born my youngest nephew he his apgar was one like he he wasn't breathing he was blue he was you know and then they just take them and it's so crazy the teams when they come in to take them away are like snap 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 you know like it's it's so crazy and and you didn't have time like did that yeah like how did that kind of unfolding of like processing those things um, how did that go over time? And when you guys got home, like what, what was that kind of like? Oh, the, the processing of things. I mean, I don't think I really started grieving mm. for quite a few months after she was born. Mm. Um, after we came home, things were calm for the first couple of weeks. And then, and we didn't really, she didn't have a diagnosis yet. We knew that right. she had had seizures at birth, but we didn't really have anything yet at this point, but we right. knew obviously we're going to be watching for, you know, long-term brain damage. She probably has a traumatic brain injury from her birth, but we didn't mm-hmm. really know what that looked like yet. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of weeks after we brought her home is when she started crying and mm-hmm. it was really, really intense crying. Her neurologist described it as like colic times 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just nothing that would stop the crying 10 to 15 hours a day. Just inconsolable crying. And that went on for the first 18 months of her life. And we didn't really understand it. Um, 
that was probably honestly like the hardest thing to deal with the first year of her life was just this constant crying. Um, what it was is because of sort of the amount of brain damage she had and where it was in her brain, it caused this like neurological cry. Mm. So there was nothing actually making her cry. Like she wasn't in pain, but it's like her brain couldn't shut off the response to cry. Wow. So there might've been something that triggered the crying, but then her brain didn't know how to shut it off because there was so much damage. So just crying all the time. All the time. And I remember her first year feeling what I think was probably fairly close to despair. Yeah. Because I just had this child who did nothing but cry. Am I ever going to, is she ever going to smile? Is she ever going to laugh? Is she like, is she going to be miserable her whole life? Um, And then she wound up being diagnosed at four months old with severe spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy and epilepsy. And so those were the first diagnoses that we got. She was four months old. Mm -hmm. And I think that is when my grieving really started because that's when, okay, we have a name, we've got a diagnosis. In some ways, when you get a diagnosis, there's relief because, okay, you know, you know what it is, you know what you can work on, you know what you can't change, what the things you have to accept sort of, but there's also, there's also a real grief that comes with a diagnosis like that. Um, like they were really painting this doom and gloom picture. Mm -hmm. You know, she's never going to walk. She's never going to talk. She's never going to do this, never going to do that. She's always going to be in diapers. She's always going to be 100% dependent on you for everything. She's going to die young. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't even know if she'll reach adulthood, basically. Like these were all the things they were telling us about our four month old, our first baby. And we were young, like I was 23, I was 25. And this is not how, you know, first time parenthood is supposed to go. Right. Right. Like nobody... (laughs) That was, that was another thing I really struggled with actually was I didn't know anybody who had Mm. gone through what I did. Mm. And when I was in all these sort of mom's groups and birthing groups, no one talked about the the scary stories or the bad stories. And any Mm. mom who sort of slightly brought them up was like kicked out, shunned. No, that's too scary. You can't say that. You can't talk about stuff like Mm. that with pregnant women. But Mm. I... I feel like that really did me a disservice and I feel mm-hmm. like it does women a disservice because then when they go through something like that, they're not right. prepared. They're like, well, nobody yeah. told me that this could happen. Yeah. Nobody yeah. talks about it. I don't know. It doesn't, this doesn't happen, but it yeah. does. Women just aren't allowed to talk about mm. the yeah. scary mom things, the scary pregnancy mm. things. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was sort of, I was struggling with feeling alone, feeling like, why didn't anybody tell me? And then now grieving this diagnosis, grieving the mother that I thought I would be, grieving the daughter right. I thought I would have, the family life I thought we would have, um, mm. and the life that she would never have. There was there was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of grieving. And that's mm. when I started writing. I started keeping a blog about Gemma because mm. um, it was the only way just I needed to write things to get it out. It was the yeah. only way I could sort of process what I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that for people, just in case people are interested in, in reading, what's your, what's your blog called or where could they find it? I don't have it anymore. Okay. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I wasn't sure if I should mention that. Gosh, I wasn't sure if I should mention the blog, but no, I, I shut it down a couple of years ago. Um, Mm. I, 
I don't know if it, it and that's not that it served its purpose, but I right. really felt like I had gone through quite a bit of healing. And yeah. so it, it was called Kisses from the Cross. Mm-hmm. And it was just about sort of grappling with my faith in the midst of this sort of yeah. life altering suffering that I was yeah. not prepared for. Yeah. And, um, and I really did find a lot of healing though, mm. and started finding a lot of joy in life with Gemma. And so I started writing less and then it'd be like a year or two. And I yeah. hadn't written anything because I didn't <laughs> feel like I needed that therapy. So yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah, yeah. For me. Yeah. Um, yeah. so no, I shut it down. <laughs> Some people no, ask that makes sense. Like, you know, it makes sense. And mm-hmm. I, but I have a question because, so I, I just also want to just, you know, um, say, I can't imagine just those months with Gemma crying because I, I have just a nephew, like he's, he's almost nine months now. And like, when he cries, it's just so awful. And you just like, you just want to do anything to sort of, I mean, sometimes now he's like older, he, he complain cries, which is a different kind of crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, when he was like really little and he was just crying out of pain or discomfort or whatever. And you just, as an adult who loves his baby, who can't communicate any other way, you're like, what do I do? And I'm not even his parent, you know? So I can't imagine being a parent in that situation and just not knowing, I mean, maybe after you knew that this is why the crying was happening, maybe it might've been a bit more of a comfort, but I can't imagine just going through this time of just not being able to console your baby. That's just, I, I, I can't even imagine that. It's just, yeah, yeah, I, it's like Matt and I will talk about it sometimes and we'll look at each other like, how did we make it through that first Mm. like year and a half to two years? And Matt will say, I don't remember. Mm, Like legitimately doesn't remember because it, it was just like, we were living in a fog, um, of just real chronic sleep deprivation and grief and, yeah, this child who cried all the time. We kind of became hermits that first year. We couldn't go anywhere. Gemma would scream mm. and cry in the car seat to the point that she'd be vomiting and aspirating mm. and turning blue. Mm. Um, we didn't go to restaurants. We would go to mass because it was an hour. And usually one of us was sort of moving her the whole time because a lot of sort of sensory input would sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes calm her down. So we burnt out quite a few hair dryers because the really loud white noise oh. would sometimes bring her down a bit. Yeah. Um, or sometimes yeah. even if you would clap really loud, mm-hmm. it would startle her out of it, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know the, the sort of wow. tricks we learned to sort right. of to calm her a little bit, but we yeah. didn't do any, we, we didn't do anything. We didn't go anywhere. Um, it was mm. incredibly isolating, yeah. incredibly isolating. Um, my mom had told me that my oldest, no, my second oldest brother had colic and, and she was like, and it's nothing compared to like yeah. the way that Gemma cried. Um, mm. yeah. So right. it was, yeah, oh, that's insane. Like I yeah. said, it was, it was probably as close to what I think despair was. Like, I think that's the closest I got in my life was that first year, like the first 18 months of Gemma's life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And where did you like, cause it, it's so hard. I feel like sometimes when we talk about the cross, because sometimes, um, like for me, for example, in times of suffering, I expected the Lord to be there in like a more present way almost. And then it was surprising when he was not like it, right. Like in a way of like, I'm with you and you can feel him on your side, like patting you mm-hmm. on the back and, you know, and I was like, I mean, it makes sense. Cause it's the cross in a sense, you know, like, and there's, um, and it's like suffering with the Lord, but, I'm curious, like, how did you, 
Like, how did you experience that? Or where did you find the Lord in those things? Or what was your experience of him in that time? So I, I definitely found when he was present, it was like very obvious, like he was doing these sort of big mm-hmm. things like Gemma's recovery in the NICU was, mm-hmm. was really big. And then um, our parish took up a collection for us that Matt could stay home from work for a couple of months. And it was mm-hmm. quite a few thousand thousands of dollars and it was mm-hmm. enough for him to be home with me. And that was mm-hmm. sort of a very obvious, like I'm taking care of you. Yeah. So on the one hand, I had these big obvious shows from God that, you know, I've got this, but then on the other hand too, it was still the, it was trying to remind myself of that when we were in the throes of Gemma's crying, it's hour 11 today, or Gemma's got this, this other illness, unexplained illness, and we're in the hospital again, because we Mm -hmm. were in the hospital a lot her first few years of life. And often there wasn't there wasn't a reason like the doctors couldn't figure out what was making Mm -hmm. her sick, but something was making her sick and she needed to be hospitalized. And it was really, I had to recall how he had been like Mm -hmm. sort of when we were on the mountain, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because then when we were in the Valley, it was like, where are you? Oh yeah. 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 Um, I, I mean, I wanted to know too, cause you see, you said you were writing this blog and there's sort of a sense, I feel like I, I mean, I would be like, what the heck, God, <laughs> what are you, what are you, what's that, you know, what's going on here? What are you, what are you, what's happening? And, and, you know, like, cause you, you use the words, like you were grappling with your faith as you were going through this. And I totally, I can imagine if that was, I would totally be in that boat, you know, of like, what mm-hmm. is who, how, and why? And, and like, it rips the foundations yeah, away. Like, somehow. I thought you loved me and my yeah. family and my daughter and why. And, you know, so I just want to know, like, what was your process in your relationship with the Lord through that and through the, through the writing, like, as you were grappling, how did, how did you come through that? Like, what did he tell you? Or how did you sort of stay in that relationship with God? and and believe in his love for you. Like uh, maybe, maybe the big things were part of that, but you know, I'm sure that there, that the, yeah, in those moments, the big things didn't necessarily, they weren't enough. Um, but the whole story sort of God speaks in the whole story. So now, now you're sort of in a new place, but looking back, like how, how would you say that you kind of, how is your relationship with the Lord kind of going, you know, at that time? Hmm. Uh, oh man. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm trying to figure like out. We're how just to, asking uh, the easy questions yeah, yeah, tonight, right. you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I really, I I had never really encountered suffering quite like Gemma's before, and mm. and you know, Catholics at least I did before Gemma. Oh, I'm I'm ready to suffer for you, Lord, and I'm ready mm-hmm. to be a saint. And then you know, he was like, okay. And then the cross right. comes. You're like, wait a second, this yeah. is not what I had what imagined. <laughs> I, oh gosh, I mean, I, I never sort of lost my faith, but Mm -hmm. I really did experience like so much sorrow and, you know, why God, why my baby, why me? Like, is this a punishment? You know, not, that was one thing I had a hard time sort of coming to terms with was it's not a punishment. It it just is, you know? 
I had some pretty good spiritual direction now through my parents and these parents who I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. And, and my dad, he would often say to me, you know, she's a saint mm-hmm. and her, her reward will be so great in heaven. And wow. he said, he said, you, he's, you can't, he, or what my dad was saying to me, he said, I, I can't describe to you the joy that you are going to feel when you see the work that she did once you're in heaven. Mm -hmm. And I really kind of, I clung to that Mm -hmm. because I didn't find anything else consoled me. I Mm -hmm. I spoke to, I spoke to quite a few other parents who had kids with um, really severe disabilities. And um, because at that point I was still really struggling to find joy with Gemma Mm -hmm, and joy in this life. And, you know, there was a lot of bitterness from these parents and I didn't want to go the way of bitterness. And Mm -hmm. I, I saw how easy it was to go that way. Mm-hmm. saw how easy it is yeah. to compare when other parents are complaining about their perfectly healthy kids. And I'm, mm-hmm. you know, watching my kid mm-hmm. with another serious illness in the hospital. It was so, it was so easy to get angry. Mm-hmm. And I found the only thing that really consoled me was thinking about her reward in heaven. And, mm-hmm. and it wasn't, it wasn't an emotional consolation. I almost don't know how to describe mm-hmm what it was to me and what it still is to me because there's often that my emotions can't really be consoled like if Gemma's really struggling with something she's having a really hard pain day if she's been having a lot of seizures it's it's not my emotions it's something way beyond my emotions it's something like it's like my soul knows the truth in that yeah her reward in heaven is going to blow my mind and, Mm -hmm. and something about knowing that and really believing it is enough to sort of get me through. And that was really what I clung to in those early years when there was a lot of grief and a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness and a lot of despair was just thinking about heaven. And I had no, I had no choice. I had no choice, but to think about heaven because if I thought about my life on earth right now, I would just fall apart. Yeah. I would mm-hmm. just, you know, I would lose it. I would cry. I would be yeah. anxious, melancholic. Right. right. Everything. Mm. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Like that is, I got shiver because yeah, I mean, that's mm-hmm. so beautiful and so true. Like, cause it's a true, I think like, I can only imagine when you're in a moment like that, nothing short of the truth is, mm-hmm. is enough. Like, mm-hmm. like not even close to it. Nothing short of the truth, truth even penetrates any, any kind of experience that's like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so beautiful right. that mm-hmm. your dad had those, like the words of truth to sort of mm-hmm. offer in that moment. Yeah. Praise God. That's like, yeah. yeah. It reminds me of um our lady's words. I think it's, is it Lourdes or Fatima? I forget. I think it's Lourdes or she says, I cannot promise you happiness in this life but in the next. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, it feels like, like a, both of them. I mean, I yeah, you're right. She says that one of them, but definitely applies to both mm-hmm. Fatima and, and yeah. yeah. Well, and it's true because all the things that would prevent us from being able to offer up our sufferings or to like offer ourselves up totally and completely in this life are things that are related to sin, right? Like to sin and wounded and woundedness, like inner woundedness. And Gemma doesn't, she she doesn't sin like she her union with the lord Mm. like there's nothing that separates them Mm. you know really so it's like so she is yeah so the graces from everything that she's living right now are not limited by her own choice or by sin or 
or anything like that, which is, which is the truth, right? Like it it is the truth as difficult as, as Hmm. it is. And I feel like that's, it's the hardest thing to swallow, right? Like what's the hardest thing to swallow in the world is, is a child who's suffering. Like Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. the hardest. That's the hardest thing to swallow in the world, yeah. you know. Um, you know, and I, it's still a mystery. But sorry, sorry. go ahead, Nicole. N- no, mm-hmm. sorry. I um, so I have not seen a picture of Gemma. Mm-hmm. I'm just this is so I'm I, like many of our listeners. I'm hearing this story for the first time, and so the question that I have right now is, oh, so what? How is it now? What is what is life like now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's funny, Aaron, when you had initially asked me to come on and speak about suffering, I had said to my dad, I was like, I don't know if I can really speak to it anymore because there's so much joy Mm -hmm. now. Gemma, she, so I definitely, I, I did go through all the stages of grief and, and, and for a while, you know, I got to a place where, oh, I accepted the diagnosis. I expected, or I, I accepted them, but it's, it's beyond that now. It's not just, you know, I'm, I accept it despite what it is because I love her is no, I love her. And I, I accept her because of all of this, Mm -hmm. she wouldn't be who she is today. If she was any different, Mm -hmm. if I, if I had to go back, I would choose her exactly as she is. Mm -hmm. And, and there's, there's real joy in, in knowing that and, and in, in experiencing that, um, because I mean, when you look at it, it's not easy to be somebody's caregiver 24 hours a day, seven mm-hmm. days a week for the rest yeah. of their life. Like I think yeah. about it sometimes it's a little bit daunting. She's almost 10 and she's starting to get too heavy for me. And, mm. but, oh my gosh, she's such a joy. <laughs> mm. She's, she's such a joy. Like, I delight in this child. I can't, I can't even tell you how humbled I feel too, like knowing how close she is to God, knowing like I'm caring for a living saint, like who am I God that you've given this soul to my care? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, you're my ticket to heaven, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) I say that to her sometimes, but yeah, she, She's she's great. She's she's great. (laughs) I'm like, I love here. Like, I love seeing some of the pictures of the sharing things that you have about the other kids, like your other children and Gemma too. So maybe you could share a little bit about how, like how having Gemma in your family has affected them or like their relationship. They... (laughs) It's funny, my Lucy, she's six, she's at an age where she's sort of indifferent, Um, (laughs) but they have always really loved on Gemma. They've always been really affectionate with her, um, always telling her, oh, you're sweet, Gemma, you're you're a nice sister. (laughs) I'll say that, I'm like, guys, you guys have such a nice sister. Um, No, they're just, they're kind, they're not, they're not bothered by any of sort of the issues they're not bothered when they see people who look different or behave different or Mm -hmm. sound different because that's just normal that's life at home and that's Mm. that's just that's life Mm -hmm. and they're they're kind they're kind Mm -hmm. to her and my Lucy will read stories to her which is really nice um the dynamic has sort of shifted I always thought you know Gemma would be the one reading stories to her younger siblings and I Mm. thought you know is that one of the 
the losses I need to grieve, but no, it's my younger kids are loving mm. on their older sister. Mm. Um, my youngest is always saying, good morning, Jemmy, and climbing, asking to climb up onto her bed and give her kisses and always rubbing <laughs> her legs. And <laughs> no, they're just, they're just really sweet with her. And, mm. and Gemma loves she loves the noise. Mm. She loves the chaos. She loves the attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you can absolutely tell that she knows when her siblings are around. So Gemma has a vision impairment, quite mm-hmm. a severe vision impairment. So she can't see, but she mm-hmm. can hear really well. So she really mm-hmm. loves music. She mm-hmm. really loves certain people's voices. So mm-hmm. when siblings come home from school, she's like, <gasps> like looking towards the sound <laughs> oh. of the voices. Cause she knows her, her brother and her sister are home from school. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild over here. Yeah. <laughs> No kidding. Um, yeah, I also, um, this is like this story. I'm hearing it also for the first time. And I'm just wondering, like, so, you know, doctors had all these things that they said and all this kind of stuff, but today, like how, how do you guys, how does she communicate with you guys? Or how do you know, sort of, you know her so well, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is like beautiful example of her, like looking in the direction of her siblings, they're coming home. And, um, you know, I'm just wondering if you have a few stories about just kind of ways in which, you know, she's showing, she shows, she shows you who she is and all of these kinds of, mm. I'm sure there's millions of ways, but just, you know, so, yeah. that's a great question though. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, she, so yeah, she doesn't communicate. Well, not well, she can, she vocalizes a little bit, but she's nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Um, and developmentally, we don't really know how old she is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of speculation that she is still quite young, like like a baby almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but when their siblings are fighting, sometimes she starts to laugh <laughs> or if one of them is getting in trouble, she's like busting a gut in her, in her bed or in like her orthopedic <laughs> chair in the living room. We say rosary in the evening as a family. At least we try to, it's mm-hmm. a bit chaotic and you know, James and Lucy are running around and nobody's sitting still. And one of us will, you know, scold them and Jen just starts laughing. Um, the first time Matt and I ever went away, we went to a family wedding in Ontario without the kids. So it was our first time away from the kids. We were mm-hmm. gone for four days and my sisters were here with Gemma. And, and as soon as we walked in, I heard this laughter. And, mm-hmm. and cause I started, I walked in the front door and I went, hello, we're home. And some of my other kids came running and I heard somebody laughing. And my sister yelled from Gemma's room. She's like, Gemma's laughing. Like she mm-hmm. was so, she had never mm-hmm. had that reaction yeah. to us before. It was the first time I really, it was the first time I really realized how much she recognized us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she, she is much happier now than she used to be. She smiles a lot. She's, she's mm-hmm. very calm and content. We mm-hmm. can tell when she's having a hard time. Mm-hmm. We can tell when her cry is pain yeah. or when it's sort of irritation or discomfort, like there's sort of different levels to it. I can you like, we can usually tell sometimes we're just absolutely guessing, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to illness. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we, we guess until we figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so and weird. she that's does. Beautiful. Yeah. Sorry. I, this is, I don't even know if this is, um, so I'm, I'm a music therapist. I, I do research and I've worked with a lot of kids, um, with varying disabilities and stuff, but I got to be involved in this study with, um, kids with cerebral palsy mm. who were non, nonverbal. Um, and they had, so I was a music therapist in the study. And so we were wearing 
EEG caps measuring our brain waves. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing like singing and then we alternated singing and storytelling with, with the kids. But mom was there too, also in an EEG cap. And what they were looking for is how are the brain waves synchronizing? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really beautiful because what they found in the study is that the brain waves of, of mom, who was just watching, were synchronizing with, with her child. Um, and that in that moment, she's, she's in tune to the point where her brainwaves are totally synchronized with the child with whatever was going on. And that was the main finding of that study. So it was just, yeah, just like unreal. Isn't that cool? cool. So just as you're describing, like being able to understand Mm -hmm. or tune in, it's like, yeah, that's like, it's a real Mm -hmm. thing. You can see that. I mean, of course, you know, it's a real thing, but, Mm -hmm. um, it shows up even in, in, in the brain, which is just, it's so beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I believe it. And actually Gemma is in music therapy right now. We have a music therapist who comes to the house once a week because Gemma's not in school right now, just with all the illnesses and the Mm. pandemic. Her health is not quite robust enough. Um, She loves music. Absolutely loves music. Um, My parents are both musicians and Mm -hmm. uh, they used to sing at mass on Sundays and she especially liked my dad's voice. And so when my dad Mm -hmm. would start singing the psalm, we'd be at mass and sometimes Gemma would have been wailing all through mass and my Mm -hmm. dad would start to sing and she would stop and like look up Mm -hmm. towards the speakers. And she still does it when we go over to my parents' house and she hears (laughs) Grampy start talking to her. She just responds to him so differently. Mm -hmm. So Wow. Yeah, she. I have music playing for her all the time in her room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Music, music all the time. Playing music while I'm changing her, while I'm carrying her around. I got music yeah. playing in my pocket. We sing to her. <laughs> she just loves it. Absolutely oh, loves it. So beautiful. It just speaks to like the the personhood, you know, like when the, even when there's like a, a limited ability to express in words or in like whatever, like there's still like she's a unique person with her mm-hmm. own likes and dislikes mm-hmm. in the same way that everybody else does like a different way of communicating those things. But, um, yeah, but just like God created <laughs> that she loves her grampy's voice. Oh, she does. Yeah. Oh, and so that she funny. laughs when her mom and dad come home and she gets to hear their voice. Like, or when um, her siblings are fighting. Or when yeah, her siblings are so fighting. good. I yes, just must love kind that. of defla- or diffuse situations sometimes. Yeah. If it's like <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> yes. Okay. Sometimes it makes James more mad and will stomp off to his room because oh, his older sister's enough. picking on him. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. I was like, I feel like she's just, she kind of gets, she's like, you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. really great. That's so uh, fun. That's that's amazing. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay. So maybe we'll ask one last question and just sure. say, um, if there's anything mm-hmm. like, just to ask you if there's anything else that you want to share, anything else that's on your heart, or if, um, if there were maybe parents who are like, if, if there are parents who may be in the stage of your child is home from the hospital and they've been screaming at home for four months and they're kind of in that most difficult part right now, mm-hmm. if there's anything that you think would be good for them to hear. Oh man. Oh gosh. I mean, so no many, pressure. So Just things, a, yeah. <laughs> so many things, but really yeah. sort of when you're first in the throes of it is find parents who relate mm-hmm. it. It's so lonely and it's so isolating having a child with profound disabilities with serious medical issues. It's really isolating sort of having loving and having the kind of child who the world actively does not want, mm-hmm. who the world actively does not love or value, even who many Catholics do not actively want or love or value. It's, mm. it's the, it's the loneliest I've ever felt. 
is this parenthood. This I've I've said quite a few times over the last few years that the motherhood of medical fragility is a motherhood spent at the foot of the cross. Mm. Like absolutely. So finding parents mm. who are walking that same road or who have walked it, um, who sort of have not succumbed to bitterness, like mm. like not not to not talk with you know, anybody, but people who are sort of holding on to hope, cling to those parents. That was what helped me a lot was finding other parents walking the same road, often whose kids had a similar diagnosis to Gemma, who were in the trenches, but like finding the joy. Um, So yeah, find, find a community, find people who get it. And there is joy does come it really, really does. And oh my gosh, it can take a long time. I mean, (laughs) I'm nine and a half years in and I think I only just stopped crying at Gemma's birthday, maybe a year or two ago. Like Mm -hmm. it still brings up a Mm -hmm. lot of hard memories, but I find sort of the further out I get from all the traumatic memories, the less sad I feel. Um, but yeah, there's Mm -hmm. so much joy that comes and, and just, it's really humbling to love somebody who can do absolutely nothing for you in return Mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. They can never, she can never comfort me. She can never, you know, she can never give me anything. She'll Mm -hmm. never tell me she loves me. She'll never hug me back. Mm -hmm. She can't make eye contact with me. Mm -hmm. And to experience like the love that I have for her, I, it's, it's humbling that I can even feel this because we're so selfish. Mm. You know, we always want something in return and, Mm. you know, right now there's nothing in return, but it's like, it, it's, it's joyful. It's, Mm -hmm. it's peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. It just, beautiful. like there, there is so much joy. It it comes, it's coming. Like I, I promise it's coming. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's like, it's very imitative of God's love. You know, like, that's just what really strikes me is that, I mean, what can we give God? Like my, Absolutely. you know, like my little meager, nothing is like a drop in the ocean compared. It's less mm-hmm. than a drop in the ocean compared to God's love. So it really is like his love is, I mean, it's not one-sided because we do have a choice about how yes. we love and all of those things. And he knows, he, he knows that, but in terms of like the scope of it and yeah. the ability and the, you know, it's like, yeah, like being able to pour out love like that to another person is just so like imitative of how the Lord loves. It's really, it's really beautiful. Everybody, we are um, very glad that you were able to join us this week. Mm-hmm. We would love to ask you um, if you could share this podcast with, if there are any families specifically mm-hmm. that you know um, who might have a child with disabilities or uh, or an adverse prenatal diagnosis or, or anything like that, um, we want to encourage you to share it with them. If you think yes. it would be helpful, um, pray about it, think about it. If you think it would be helpful for them, then please share it with them. And um, if that's you and you're listening, please know that we are praying for you in a special way this week in particular. And we're looking forward to being with all of you again next week. God bless you. Thanks, Mary. God bless. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 
thank you for joining us for this episode of In the Thicket. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and hit that subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday with more stories and honest conversations about life when the going gets rough and the hope and humor amidst it all. We'd love for you to join our community on Instagram and Facebook at In the Thicket Podcast. While you're there, let us know how we can pray for you. God bless and see you next week.